The winemakers are up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Destination Eat Drink. This week, I talked to Lubomir Stefanov, director of the Academy Award-nominated film Honeyland. We talk about his movie, the cuisine of his home country of Macedonia, and growing up in the capital of Skopje around beekeepers. There are lots of people who are dealing with uh, with bees since everywhere. I remember I was growing up in the center of Skopje. When I was a kid, it was much smaller. I was growing up in the center and in the yard, there were beehives. Download Destination Eat Drink today on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Okay. Hey, welcome to the winemakers. This is Brian Casey with, of course, Sam Katuri and Bart Hansen. Almost had John Myers today. I think he's going to join us later today. He's just got something going on this morning, but I think he's going to jump on us when we um, when we talk to the guys from Wild Ark later. And we got a cool show today. We've got um, Guy Eschel from Dalton Winery in Israel. And the way this went down was Sandra and I were doing a podcast um, uh, for The Bike Goes On, and we were talking to a guy named Avidon, who is the taco mm-hmm. mensch in Mexico City. And he had left Mexico City, went back to Tel Aviv, and um, – and um, he just happened to mention that he had a friend that was a winemaker in Israel. And so I said, hey, would you give me his contact info? Because I've never had a wine from Israel. I know I've had wines from Lebanon, um, but I had never had Israeli wine before. I thought it would be really cool because I know absolutely nothing about the terroir, about like, like zero. And we started a little bit talking about kosher wines uh, because Sam does make a um, kosher wine. And so we kind of started talking about the logistics and the, the laws and all that. And it seemed really interesting. So, so guy, I reached out to guy, guy was nice enough to get back to us. Um, and, and that's it. So, so we're guy, live in Tel Aviv right now. Is that, are you in uh, Tel we're Aviv? Actually, we're, we're north of uh, Tel Aviv. We're, we're, we're very close to Haifa, um, which is, uh, which is the third largest city in the country. Um, it's uh, kind of like the uh, the gateway to the Galilee. It's uh, we're close. I live in a in a suburb outside of Haifa in the hills, um, kind of like a forest area called Kiryat Tivon, um, and it's uh, really kind of like the gateway to the Galilee. Um, so I I uh, I'm the winemaker, uh, the head winemaker for uh, for a winery in Israel called Belton Winery. Um, we're one of the first winery and wine producers in the Upper Galilee, which is uh, one of the most northern parts of, of uh, Israel proper. Uh, people, some people know the Golan Heights as one of the uh, famous uh, wine regions of Israel because it's like this uh, elevated plateau. So um, where the Golan Heights is kind of like uh, very high in elevation, but mostly uh, not mountainous terrain, um, the Galilee is, uh, is uh, very... Uh, hilly and, and lots of mountains. Um, our winery is located um, uh, near, the, uh, near the city of uh, Tsefat. So um, 
this whole region where we make wine has history um, from uh, the Jewish uh, Kabbalah uh, culture. That's where it was founded. And um, a lot of the, uh, the history goes back to like uh, 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 the Roman Empire and even before that. Um, and there are some ancient winemaking sites uh, in that area as well. Didn't they just uh, discover another like ancient, ancient winery? And I think I read about it in, in Wine Spectator, an Israeli archaeological dig that they've decided was, you know, one of these wineries that's... Yeah, lots of, there's, there's a lot of these diggings that like in some archaeological findings, um, people are finding uh, old, uh, old uh, uh, clay, um, like amphoras. Uh, with uh, great pits inside. We, we know of uh, several different types of wines that were made uh, in the past. And uh, now of recent, uh, actually, uh, some interesting uh, indigenous varieties that have been preserved as table grapes throughout the years uh, by, the, uh, by the local uh, Arabs um, are coming out to be um, um, varieties that are, you can make wine from, you can actually make some decent wine from them. Uh, and uh, there's even there's even uh, scriptures that talk about wine from some of those grapes, uh, wow. going dating back a thousand thousand five hundred years ago. Um, so so yeah, but you know, in our in our modern day history, um, Israel probably um, had a few awakenings as a modern winemaking country. The first one was that uh, in the nineteenth century, where uh, the Baron the Baron Edmond de Rothschild, who was, uh, was a French Jew, very wealthy, banker families. The same family still owns uh, Lafitte and Mouton Rothschild to this day. Um, they are the ancestors of Philippe Rothschild, who owns um, you know, most of those wineries. And um, he came and um, saw, um, he was a big supporter of, uh, of, uh, of uh, Jews coming back to Israel. Um, that was um, probably during the time, maybe after World War I. Um, and uh, they started planting vines. He brought um, professionals uh, and consultants from France with him uh, that he had for his uh, wine holdings in Bordeaux. And they saw um, the land and they said, okay, this is fit for uh, Carignan, Grenache. Uh, French Columbard, and those were the first varieties to make it over here. Um, and uh, then over time, um, more and more uh, modern grape varieties started coming in from, uh, uh, from other areas in France, more Mediterranean regions in France. Uh, let me just close the door. We, t we talk about our history of making wine in California. I love when, when you're like going back before Roman times. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Holy crap. There's, there was a whole gap between that area, the biblical slash, uh, you know, the Roman Empire. There, there, were, uh, there was some like Islamic um, uh, empires that went through the Turks um, and the Ottomans and that during those times, most of the wine um, grape growing was eliminated. It wasn't allowed. Um, 
because there was uh, different rules over this land and there were laws saying that farmers weren't allowed to grow um, wine for grapes. So some of the grapes were selected to continue as table grapes or to make juice or to make uh, what the locals call here uh, dibes, which is a type of like um, uh, grape concentrate that they use as like a, like a honey, like a sweetener, a natural sweetener. Wow. And of course the raisins. Um, so some of those grape varieties uh, made it and they, they were able to survive. Uh, over thousands of years. Um, others were probably taken to Europe um, and, you know, maybe maybe exist in different, different areas like in the Eastern Mediterranean or Italy, uh, but we don't know exactly what was here before. And uh, now actually there's been a lot of work uh, done on, on the grape varieties that, uh, that used to be here. Um, there's a Dr. Shibi Drori, who is um, um, a researcher at the, uh, one of the universities uh, here in Israel called the Ariel University. And he did a big kind of like ampelography, ampelog uh, an ampelogric study. <laughs> it's very hard to say. Anyway, um, it's hard to say when you speak English every day. So you're, you're <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and uh, this, this study basically profiled um, many different varieties from different like ruined sites. And then they found the same varieties in the same sites in different parts of the country. So we know that some of these grape varieties were made to, you, to as, as wine producing varieties. And they started replanting them and uh, testing them for their wine, uh, for their wine qualities. Yeah. Well, now let's let's start with with um, with you. Did you grow up in Israel? I uh, yeah. Well, actually, you met my friend Avidan. He's a very yeah. good friend of mine uh, since fifth grade. Um, and I grew up both in Israel and this in the United States. Uh, in my childhood, I lived with my family in Southern California. My dad uh, moved us there for a job, and we lived there for seven years, and then uh, came back. Um, as a child to Israel. And uh, in um, 2007, I uh, came to Napa, to Northern California, and I worked for a winery called Hagafen Cellars that belongs to Ernie Weir at a, in a Silverado Trail. Yep. Uh, um, did, a, did a harvest over there and um, worked with them um, in, the in the vineyards, in the tasting room a little bit, and I top some of the barrels up after they went through the, uh, the um, he, he does what's called a kosher mevushal wines where they're pasteurized. So uh, there's, there's certain, certain aspects and technical aspects of the kosher wine, wine production that you're, you're not allowed to touch it in some stages and you could touch in other stages. Well, can we, can we talk about that a little bit? Because um, yeah, sure. I, I, I deal with that. Um, with our kosher rosé. Um, we, we make our kosher rosé uh, at Mayakamas Winery, which is now owned by, oh, awesome. by the Schottenstein family and yes. a prominent Jewish family out of oh, Ohio. Is, uh, is Aaron Whitlash taking care of your wine over there? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not a Jew. Um, Aaron Whitlash from the Midwest. But, but he's uh, one of my best friends from Davis. So. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, yeah. So, you know. Very good hands. just goes to show 
you can be 7,000 miles apart and the wine world is still like one of the smallest <laughs> communities on the planet, right? Yeah, um, definitely. And but, so Aaron isn't Jewish, Braden isn't Jewish. Um, so there's these okay. two consultants, um, Dan Levin, we call him Kosher Dan and Kosher David. Um, and yeah. they come and, you know, from, from the day we crush the grapes, they are yeah. the only ones who can do any of the work on the wine until, so I don't have one here, uh, but we have these little red wax dots that we put on top of every bottle instead of foils. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Dan or David have to put the red wax on top of the bottle and then yeah. we're allowed to deal with the wine. Oh, Sam, yeah. you should do There's... all kosher wine then because I hate doing those little red wax things. <laughs> If, if, why don't you just do yeah. all kosher and then they would have, have to take care of everything. Yeah. Uh, I might I'll drive you guys up a little. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's a lot, look, there's a lot of, um, a lot of uh, very specific, particular uh, regulations in kosher wine. I am, me personally, um, I'm not a, a very uh, religious, um, you know, I come from Jewish heritage, but I'm not very, like, I'm, I'm secular, I'm not observant, and um, uh, I'm not allowed to, to do a lot of the stuff myself as well in the winery. Huh. Um, just like anyone uh, making wine, we, we have, um, our, our employees are, uh, have to be observant um, and, uh, they they get to touch the grapes and handle most of the most of the process uh, from uh, the crushing part till uh, uh, the processing um, up to bottling, um, and then you can do whatever you want. Uh, one of the reasons why you have to have someone else put the little dot on there is because there's a law that says that um, uh, if the kosher the kosher wine is made, it has to be handled by Jews um, uh, that are observant. They won't even let um, like just regular normal people who are Jewish or like not religious people handle it. There you go. <laughs> and uh, it has to have two seals on the bottle for someone to touch it. See if this bottle of, of uh, you know, Cabernet 2017 has a seal, I can touch it. I can handle it. I can pour it to myself. But if it only has one seal, Okay, and this is exposed. So for our, for our listeners in radio, by, real quick, sorry, sorry, guy. You, guy just showed his bottle and with yeah, the foil just showing, off and then, and then yeah. took the foil off. Right, so now it's one seal, right? There you go, there it's one seal. If you're religious, you're not gonna be able to drink this wine anymore. Right. Wow. It's, a, it's, a, it's some kind of regulation that goes to like overprotect a wine from any chance it will not be uh, kosher. Um, so yeah. the, 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 reason, the reason behind kosher wines, by the way, for people who are less familiar than the four of us also, is uh, that the origin came from, uh, there were times where um, people who were in the Jewish uh, kind of faith uh, would use their wines for sacramental purposes. Um, they needed to make sure that their wine or the wine that they're using for sacramental purpose wasn't made for an intention, in, intentionally made to, um, to sacrament a foreign god or gods or something uh, that wasn't of their faith. So they were very protective of making their own wine and um, they 
can use their wine for blessing every Friday, every what we call Sabbath, and every holiday, um, we raise a glass. There's a prayer that you say over the wine, Baruch Gafen, which means uh, bless the Lord of, 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 uh, of the holy grapes. And um, the grapes uh, have a, some sense of a holy um, uh, respect to them in, in the religion. And uh, it's very important to, to uh, preserve that. It's one, the Jewish faith is all about small traditions, okay? So um, the wine tradition is one of the most important ones because it's, it brings you to an elevated kind of uh, um, state of mind. And um, in the past, it was also used to, uh, you know, to pray and to, to, to sacrament with, yeah, basically. So are, are all of the Dalton wines kosher? All of the Daltons are, are kosher. Right. Uh, not all of them are kosher mevushal, which means uh, they're not all pasteurized. Uh, the reason why uh, uh, in, in kosher wine, there is a element of uh, where you can uh, pasteurize your wine for them to be considered kosher. Um, it's like creating a very, very, very small fault. That means that you know that if you purposely did that to a wine, uh, someone that is not Jewish wouldn't go and that extra mile and, and, and make that fault into their wine, and then they could use it for sacramental purposes. Whoa, because pasteurizing, then, isn't that using- when the wine is pasteurized, technically anyone can pour it, like even someone who isn't Jewish, let's say someone who is a Christian, Catholic or Hindu can sit in a, in a kosher restaurant and pour it to, the, to very, very religious people because it's gone that extra step. But on the other hand, you don't, some, some, uh, some uh, uh, Jewish um, like uh, uh, ethnicities uh, from different areas in the world, they won't like um, pray over Mevushal wine. They'll just drink it. Pasteurizing, is, it, is that using, what exactly is the process? Is that using heat? Yeah, it's a flash pasteurization. So uh, fa uh, flash pasteurization is, uh, is a very, very uh, quick um, uh, heat exchange. Uh, you have to bring the wine into like the uh, limit of boiling where it's, it doesn't boil, but it gives out some kind of steam. Uh, and then it gets cooled down right away back to back to its temperature. So the wine coming in cools the wine uh, coming out of the heat exchanger, and then um, and then it's it's flash pasteurized, and it happens very fast. It happens within within seconds. And at what point in the winemaking process do you do that? Uh, you can do it on the uh, must on, or on the juice uh, pre fermentation. And you can also do it on a finished wine. Better to do it on a young wine, a, a wine that just finished fermenting and then has like another period to age. It'll usually doesn't have that big of effect when the wine is usually young. So most, the wines that uh, we as Dalton sell to the US, uh, some of them are, um, are kosher mervushal, so they're pasteurized. Uh, we usually uh, do um, very limited production of a certain, uh, um, amounts of our high-end wines, but uh, let's say some of our uh, some of our most popular wines, like uh, the Canaan series, which is uh, 
just like a really nice everyday table wine. For the U.S., we we make it in a uh, in a kosher pasteurized uh, version. And this is wine that usually gets consumed within one or two years on the market, and it's actually much more pleasant to drink when it's young, but it won't have the same aging ability as a uh, as a non-traditional wine. Hey, just ran random um, question for the Canaan wines. I've seen a commercial for it. Who is that crazy gray-haired lady with the big eyebrows? It was in the commercial oh. for the Canaan, and you guys are like I, I at a party. Seen... Oh, you haven't seen that? No. <laughs> uh, Brian, you're gonna have to find this, and we'll put it. You're gonna have to find it and post it because I. Yeah. Well, and you're on, but you're on at the very end, and it's kind of like a party going on somewhere, and people are pouring wine, and there's food going around, and then there's this woman oh, with this whoa, whoa, crazy whoa. gray hair. Oh, okay. So we had this amazing event a few years ago um, where we um, we were kind of launching our new um, uh, some new wines, and we did this event in uh, in a really cool um, uh, old house in uh, in uh, Jaffa in Tel Aviv. Um, just a lot of food, um, and we brought these actors. In every room, there was like a different actor, like acting out a scene, and it was like interactive. The crowd would come in and just like interact with these people, and they talk about the wine, and it, it was just really funny and some good atmosphere. Okay. So it was yeah. it was like a launching event. It was a big PR event that we did, a big party. Yeah. Okay. Hey, so hey it, was, guys, it, was maybe... young, it was a young actress dressed up as an old lady. Yeah, so. yeah. You could tell she was definitely in some sort <laughs> of costume or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, guy. Maybe there's a good time. Can you talk a little bit about the wine culture there and and the wine business? Like, how many wineries are there? I mean, do people go wine tasting in Israel? Could you talk about that? And um, I'm not sure exactly how many wineries there are today. Probably like around 300 different brands um, yeah. in Israel. Um, it's really grown. Look, I came back to Israel in 2015, and when I um, was in California, you know, working, uh, doing stuff in Napa and, and studying. There were even less. There's maybe maybe like 50 or 80 different wine uh, brands. Um, there's a few major ones. Um, and then lots of boutique wineries that opened up um, in the recent years. And the Israeli wine culture has been gaining popularity um, since uh, like the, uh, the mid 2000s. Like, the early 2000s up until now, um, more plantings. Um, we're, we're growing mostly international varieties these days. Um, I think probably Carignan and Cabernet Sauvignon are the most widely planted varieties here in Israel. Uh, then you have um, uh, Syrah, um, Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnays, Gewürztraminer, like all the international stuff. Um, and as of recent, uh, some more obscure things are coming in. And as I said, the, the rebirth of the indigenous varieties. Um, Israeli wine culture um, has improved greatly in the, in the past 10 years. Um, we now have um, a, a WSCT school that teaches, um, you know, the you know, wine appreciation and wine tasting for, for songs, for restaurants. Um, we, have, uh, we have a master of wine in Israel and we have uh, two more like on the verge of, of getting their MS uh, in wine and uh, their MW. We have 
um, more and more small importers bringing wines from all over the world and the best um, stuff that you can get internationally is coming in here now. So I think there's more appreciation um, that's growing in Israel. Uh, the wineries are quite spread out. The regions are not like um, very big. So where I'm making wine in Dalton, uh, there's the uh, there's Dalton Winery and there's the uh, there's Galil Mountain Winery, which are the two largest ones in our area. Um, many small ones uh, around, and uh, you know people usually come on Thursdays and Fridays to taste wine. Weekends are usually closed. There's no like full weekend uh, wine wine tastings because uh. if you're a kosher winery, then you're closed uh, Saturday. No. Um, and uh, people usually come up Thursday, Friday, Saturday's closed, and then Sunday they, they can taste wine or travel around again. Um, yeah. And isn't that, is that the reason that you're the owner of Dalton, is it Alex? Um, Alex Rooney, yep. Sort of, uh, that's sort of the reason he started the winery is kind of bring tourists into that uh, area? It's true, because up until uh, the 19, the early 90s, uh, there wasn't much going on in the Upper Galilee, actually. It was mostly farmers and commune villages that uh, were growing, uh, some were growing grapes, some were growing other agricultural products. Uh, we, uh, they, they saw the winery as a um, kind of a, uh, a good investment in terms of agritourism. Um, for the region that didn't have anything of the sort at the time. Uh, there is a lot of religious uh, tourism area. People go up to see like uh, different tombs of, of certain rabbis. And uh, oh. so, so it started bringing along with the religious tourism, it also started bringing uh, just casual tourism. And it took time to build, but uh, we have a very active visitor center. Uh, we have a cellar door where you can come taste all the wines, tour the winery. You know, not these COVID days are a bit tricky. Uh, it's kind of hard to, to take people around the winery. We're like working in capsules and in two separate different teams. So we don't people, let people around. But if they come, in, uh, come into the winery, then the door is open and, you know, they'll get their temperature tested and they can have some wine outside in the, in the patio. Yeah. And, but uh, yeah, the tourism is is, um, is picking up again. Um, our whole area has maybe five different small wineries around us as well. So people can come see us. They can come see other other growers in the area. Um, so in terms right. of uh, yeah, so let's talk about how you got started then. How did I get here? Okay, so. Um, wow, my, my story is interesting because I, I spent some time in California and I never planned to, to go back to Israel, um, you know, anytime soon. And then I met my current wife and that all changed. So yeah. I, my dream was always to go back and to make wine uh, in Israel, but I didn't know exactly when, when that would happen. Um, so when I finished Davis, uh, I went and worked over in the Northern Rhone. I took a scholarship from the university and uh, worked over at uh, Domaine Francois Villard in, um, in the Northern Rhone in Conjurieu, San Joseph. Um, so he does a little bit of Cote Rotis. Awesome, awesome wines, great guy. Um, yeah. 
just had a blast, learned so much. And um, I was always very excited about uh, varieties that have more uh, Mediterranean kind of influence, like the Syrah, the Roussan, the, the Grenache. Um, and that took me to another gig in Australia where I was not really a, a harvest intern, but more of a, of a vintage winemaker. And I was really managing the whole, uh, the whole procedures there alongside with uh, winemaker Brian Martin and Tim Kirk, who are the owners of uh, Clonakilla Winery in uh, Canberra. They make a super, super awesome Shiraz Viognier and their reasonings are also amazing. Um, I spent a few months there, uh, learned a lot, like very classic winemaking that they were doing at Clonakilla, but the other winemaker there, uh, Brian Martin, who uh, is now retiring from making wine there, and continuing with his own brand, had a brand called Ravensworth Wine, which uh, they were like very, very smart, kind of uh, new wave style of winemaking, lots of experimental stuff, lots of small batch uh, wines that were made. And um, we were doing stuff like uh, skin contact with uh, Pinot Gris and uh, blending it with Gewürz and making different types of orange wines and pet nets and super uh, interesting, you know, Nebbiolos. And he was working with anything that he could get from the region that was good. And um, that was just like a really big eye opener. And that kind of uh, gave me a... Uh, an experimental kind of um, passion for making wine. I, as a winemaker, of course, really um, like to to preserve the the you know the classic and and the the character of our region. But um, the stuff that really gets me up in the morning is just like playing with with different flavors and trying to create um, new kind of uh, flavors and textures in the wine that I make. And um, at Dalton, when I arrived after Australia, well, first, after Australia, I came back to California and I was working with Chris Brockway at Brock Cellars in Berkeley. Um, and um, same style, like that, that was, those were the wines that I was really enjoying at the time um, through Davis and then also even more so in Australia and, and with Chris, um, learning a lot of different techniques and helping him out, just like, trying to solve stuff, figure stuff out. Very, very interesting winemaking where you work for a winemaker who, um, it's not about like, here, do the work order. It's like, let's talk about what we're doing and let's be creative and try to, to do it um, in, a, in a, you know, the most practical and, and best way that we can and, and also try to find interesting uh, flavors and components yeah. So oh, that's I cool. Was, I'm sure you're doing, is that the first time you've done a carbonic uh, um, wine? No, actually we did some uh, carbonic wines. Uh, first carbonic wines that I was doing were, were, uh, were in Davis actually with, uh, oh, wow. you know, we had a, we had a garage winery and we were doing uh, a lot of uh, experimentation with white carbonic maceration, red carbonic maceration, oh, wow. just like anything that we could do. Uh, and then we did a, we did some carbonic with Francois Villard. He had a Gamay, and we did a carbonic uh, Syrah, and we did you know. So it wasn't. And now at Dalton, um, when I when I arrived to Dalton in 2015, 
um, I met the owner, Alex Saruni. He was looking for a winemaker um, after um, his, the previous winemaker, um, Nama Sorkin, um, finished 12 years with the winery and kind of wanted to move on and do, do some different things for herself. Um, so I tasted this uh, Shiraz El Bosch that, that you have, uh, Sam. And that, that was a vineyard that uh, I, taste, I was tasting with Alex, the 2012 version of this wine. And uh, having a Syrah from, um, from that region, the Galilee, growing on this kind of soil, with uh, the soil there is very, very white um, limestone. Um, you can find fossil, um, pieces of fossils in the ground. Uh, we grow it um, very uh, sustainably. So, um, you know, wildflowers in the spring, in the winter, uh, we don't use any herbicides. We, we use very friendly materials, you know, as our insecticides and, and uh, fungicides, uh, mostly uh, horticultural oils and, and, uh, and sulfur and, and, uh, and copper and, and, uh, um, and different types of uh, fertilizers to mitigate uh, fungus. And it really, it's a, it's a beautiful vineyard. Um, we, we grow about, uh, about uh, 100 acres, I think, it would be. not 100 acres, no, not 100, 200 acres of, uh, of grapes. Yeah. That's and, sizable. And, yeah, and all different soil types, because you've got stuff that's a little yeah, bit higher elevation. And we have, yeah. The limestone in the upper, the western part of the upper Galilee is very unique. Uh, it's one of the only subregions that has this kind of soil that's just limestone and flint. Uh, very similar to like sites that you see in parts of France. Um, it's really interesting. Um, it has its ups and downs, you know, the vines, the vines uh, don't always like uh, certain periods of the season where they're seeking uh, certain minerals. It's very hard for them um, to find them in the soil. So um, we have to do some soil amendment work, like a lot, of, a lot of composting and a lot of iron deficiencies in those areas that just are, you know, that's, that's just the site. It gives, gives very interesting, very salty wines, uh, wines with very, very fine tannin. Um, and then we have the deeper, richer Terra Rosa soils um, in, the, uh, in the eastern part of the Upper Galilee that have uh, pieces of uh, quartz and limestone in them as well. Uh, those are a little bit richer. Um, we, have, uh, we have basalt soil that's similar to the Golan Heights where it's uh, uh, some kind of a degraded uh, uh, volcanic soil. And there's a few um, horizons of that, and then underneath, it's it's usually limestone as well. Um, those and are the guys, three main soil types. And you're a little bit more humid, actually, right? I mean, you guys get a pretty substantial rainfall, um, but the humidity, yeah. even though you get nice breezes, you've got a little bit higher humidity than than we do here. I think it's true. You guys, it's much drier in California, in Northern California. Um, but uh, we usually um, can, um, we, we do have to really be careful um, about um, late summer rots and bunch rots because of the humidity. Uh, it, it can bring, it can bring um, 
like the grapes don't tend to dry so much and then uh, you know botrytis and stuff like that can grow early in the season uh, so we have to be careful uh, we also have to play like with uh, with the row orientation I think my the best sites that we have are actually like uh, running east to west and then it's where where the where the wind passes through the through the rows uh, those are the easiest to manage um, and then also um, something that I've noticed um, that really helps grow grapes the way we do it is to kind of not go uh, with the uh, very um, I call it the uh, the conservative kind of like VSP system where, where the where the vines are uh, are tied up completely straight and it makes a very compact uh, uh, leaf area. Uh, we try to grow our, our vines when where we can, uh, kind of like open sprawl, so it creates a natural shading uh, over the fruit, and then we can very very lightly deleaf the vines and get a lot of air in there and shade. So um, it really helps lengthen and improve uh, the acid and, and the, the uh, flavors of the grapes as well. Yeah, you guys so, want to talk about some of the wines? I can. Yeah, I can, sure. I can, I can tell you, um, I drank a bottle I sent, of the I'll tell Semillon. you what I sent you guys, yeah. yeah. I, well, I sent you guys uh, Semillon uh, from our Alma series. Alma is a range of wines that are uh, blended wines. Um, and the blends are, uh, well, we have, a, we have a rose, which is a, uh, a Pinot Gris and a Grenache. It's a skin contact Pinot Gris with some Grenache uh, Noir. Very pale, very delicious and dry. I sent you guys a white, which is a Semillon based with a little bit of Sauvignon and uh, a touch of uh, Chenin Blanc, mostly yep. stainless steel fermented. The uh, Semillon comes from uh, this vineyard, from the Elkosh vineyard behind me. Uh, it's um, just very salty, kind of mineral, minerality. Uh, I try to pick it relatively early so I can keep the alcohol um, low, but then try to build different textures with uh, some some of the use of, uh, of uh, older uh, uh, from old barrels with with wine fermenting in them and then and then the wine will uh, will age in the uh, in the barrique for about five months with some batonnage and then I mix a few components together uh, making them uh, like a semion semion mostly semion based wine uh, then there's two reds there's a uh, there's a a more Mediterranean style red, um, which is a Syrah Grenache Carignan, and there's a Cabernet based blend as well in that series, in that range. It's really good. They're quite good value as well, uh, price wise. Uh, the reds are from our better blocks here in the Upper Galilee, and it's a mix of several vineyards. They're not vineyard specific wines. Do you have vineyard specific yeah. wines though? Yeah, we do. So you have the El Koch, the single vineyard series. Uh -huh. uh, we have we have a Cabernet. We have a, a, an organically uh, grown Cabernet vineyard called the Tsivon. Uh, we have the Galilo, which is a, uh, a vineyard. Uh, it's like a it's like a, a Grand Vin that we make from our top parcels in the Upper Galilee. It's a Cabernet, sixty percent, thirty percent Syrah, and ten percent Grenache. It's really, really special, very Galilee terroir. There's um, a lot of like this uh, minty herbaceousness, some savory 
uhness to it that comes from local herbs and, and just that that very fine minerality that you get from this uh from this very poor limestone soil. Um so we have yeah. some of those. And then some of our more simple wines are also single, single parcel wines. Like Pinot Gris comes from one side, Chardonnay comes from one side, uh, our Sauvignon Blanc Reserve comes from a, from a site specific. Um, that's the, is that the one that's labeled Fumé Blanc? Fumé Blanc is our, uh, is our uh, kind of uh, first entry Sauvignon, which is 30% uh, uh, barrel fermented. Um, with uh, new and second year barrels. Uh, it's, a, it's a spontaneous fermentation, and then the rest is fermented in stainless steel. Um, and then, you know, it's just kind of a uh, very um, perfumey kind of Sauvignon that has some good flintiness to it. Uh, it's, it's tasty. No, it's good, good price. Yeah, the, um, you know, I, go, go ahead, Bart. Well, That's what I'm drinking say. now, by the way. I'm drinking the Fumé. Right now, this is uh, the blanc okay. So, Guy, this was the wine that Brian, I believe, picked up at Bottle Barn here in uh, Sonoma County. Yeah. And I, what do you think? It was a Brian, seventeen ninety nine. Um, yeah. What a great. Oh, I mean, it, what a great value! It's a it's a solid wine at that price. Um, you know, very Cal California Cabernet and um, as uh, you know, classic. Um, all those yeah. great varietal flavors. Yeah, it's really, really, really nice. Yeah, I'm gonna I'll open mine now. Yeah, I'll just tell um, you that. Okay, so the Estate Cabernet, by the way, just uh, to to let you guys know. First of all, it's a it's a it's a really um, popular wine with us. It's the wine that we make the most of at Delton. We have Canaan, which is the entry, but Estate Cabernet, um, it's our it's our biggest skew. Um, the the wine itself the wine itself um, is basically uh, just all estate grown Upper Galilee um, Cabernet Sauvignon. I usually blend it up here with about up to ten percent Petit Verdot in the blend. Okay, um, and the wine uh, is about uh, fifty percent um, you know uh, barrel aged, uh, so it goes through an elevage period in in uh, in casks not new oak uh, and then the rest in tank um, with some um, um, micro ox some micro ox yeah just to kind of soften it up a little bit over time yeah just helps kind of uh, not make the wine too closed and too reductive yeah yeah I mean that's you know for our listeners you know there is a uh, what's called I just referenced at micro ox whereas you yeah. uh, uh, put some very very small amounts of oxygen in a tank um, a wine that is in tank it's not in barrels so it doesn't get that micro oxidation that you get in barrels because um, you know barrels are incredibly expensive um, but but it's tough I mean I've only dealt with micro ox a couple times in my career and um, it's something you got to really watch. It's it's uh, it's not as simple as just turning it on the machine yeah. and walking away from it. And you have to taste it. I don't use much Constantly. of that. Yeah. But um, this is this wine. It's actually it's actually really really soft and um, it's a just it's a fun. I don't I don't like to over extract um, our wines at Dalton. So if you taste through all of our range um, with me, maybe next time I come to the U.S. You'll find that um, that our wines are quite subtle in terms of like their uh, uh, their body. Like 
a lot of the Napa wines, for instance, or wines that I find in certain areas in California, or even New World kind of style wines like Barossa Shiraz, are super extracted and very, very thick and kind of uh, creamy. Our wines are are just kind of uh, linear. They're kind of quiet. Uh, they have a very good backbone to them in most cases. And um, I don't like to make heavy wines, like wines that you can drink quite easily, uh, but still have some complexity to them. So as, a, as one of our most uh, kind of like entry level uh, wines, I think this, this is a really nice example of, uh, of the quality of Cabernet Sauvignon in the Upper Galilee. First of all, the fruit is very clean. Um, you get like a lot of dark cherry character, some, some anise, uh, some mintiness, but it's not, it's not like um, unripe pyrazine, uh, right. you know, on the nose. Um, and the wine uh, is around 14, I don't have 14 or 14 and a half alcohol. Can you, can you see just mine? Uh, yeah, 14, 14, five. 14, four, five. Yeah, 14, five. Yeah. So that means it's yeah. anywhere between 14 and 14, five, because legally in Israel, you can, you can only go, um, Point five. You can't do a full one percent. So that is that. We we opened this cab yesterday at Sam's Tasting House, and um, it was funny. When I first poured it, I picked up just a slight amount of pyrazine, um, but by the time I went back to it, it was completely gone. And today, there's nothing there. I mean, today it, it smells just like clean cherries. Really, really beautiful. And definitely get that like old school California cab vibe. I yeah. personally, I, I love light yeah. or, un, or like no new oak on Cabernet. Yeah. Um, you know, we, make, we make one Cabernet here that's no new oak, one that's like 50%. Um, yeah, yeah. Because you get, you get the vineyard, you get the fruit, you get, the, yeah, yeah. you know, those so tertiary. This is all limestone. This is all cab on limestone. Um, it's one year of aging. I usually uh, bottle them, um, you know, just as harvest ends, you know, so when, when I finished the 2018 harvest, these started getting going into bottle. And um, we, we produce quite a, quite a bit of the swine. And uh, I think it's great. If you want to experience something from Israel, uh, not too expensive and uh, kind of like a good safe, safe buy, that most people can enjoy, can enjoy this specific wine if they pick it up bottle. at a bottle barn or or anywhere else. Um, the Fumé Blanc is also pretty tasty. Um, and uh, if you ever uh, get a chance to try like our, um, our Alma series wines, those are, those are things that uh, are around the same price, but just a little bit more complex. It's a year and a half of maturation. It's, uh, it's, it, I use a, a combination of uh, concrete tanks and, and, uh, and oak casks. Uh, those are those wines have a little bit more going on. Uh, let's say this uh, Shiraz single vineyard that I sent you um, yeah, is a hand harvested Shiraz from a, from a single parcel. Uh, it's fermented. Um, it's uh, it's fermented in uh, concrete and then aged in uh, in punchets in Burgundian punchets. New new or or used punchets? Uh, so there's there's a, some percent of new, um, but it's not much wine. So. Um, maybe one punchin is new and the rest are like second year or something like that. I, I can't remember. It's a 16 vintage, I think. Uh, yeah. 16 was a bit of a, um, 
it was a bit of a warm year. It was quite consistent, but warm, good quality, but a little bit uh, created higher alcohol wines in most cases. But the Syrah, the Syrah single vineyard is actually a more delicate um, um, version of, of Syrah than, than, uh, than what we usually get in, in such hot uh, growing uh, regions. Uh, the Syrah can be very, very, very uh, dark, um, very, very pruny. And this one is more lifted and has more aromas going on. I mean, you know, obviously, I don't taste Israeli Syrah on a regular basis, but, um, yeah. you know, if I was forced to, you know, to, to blind this, I would probably say that it was from, you know, a, a warm vintage in the Northern run. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, that's definitely got that, um, you know, I, I think you've used the word a few times describing these wines, but there's definitely some like linear characteristics to it, um, yeah. which is, you know, a little bit of structure and things like that that I, yeah, uh, definitely enjoy in Syrah. Mm -hmm. Did you do any? Does that are there? Are you doing anything with Viognier co fermentation or anything like that? I know you have those no. those Cote Roti uh, connections with with the with the Villard. Yeah, I was I was playing with it a little bit. Um, uh, I was doing it for our uh, estate version of the of the Shiraz, um, not for not for this kind of stuff, uh, just because. Um, the Viognier that I, I thought was uh, becoming ripe in the same vineyard that the, the Syrah and the Viognier that I had in the same vineyard um, were not making the cut for our higher end stuff, and um, and I was using it more for the for the entry level wines. Um, although, uh, yeah, it doesn't have to be from the same vineyard, but it's not. I don't have a big passion for, for co-fermenting Syrah and Viognier, actually. <laughs> like, it's nice and all, but, you know, I, uh, I never, never really thought it was, like, what was making the wine special. You know, I, I, it's more about the site. It was more about the quality of the fruit and uh, um, that 2% of Viognier, I, I wasn't feeling it was making uh, that big of a difference when, when we were making wines in France and in uh, at Clonakilla, so. Hmm. And what was that like working some, with Francois? Some people are saying like there, there is a little bit of like coat pigmentation and some color improvement and maybe like a different ar aromatic profile, but uh, yeah, I just like the Syrah as is. I'm, that's what I'm I've not. heard you say. I think th for you, that's like the ultimate wine is a, is a Syrah. Yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of the of the variety of the genre of the of the the versatility between the variety of Syrah there's so much clonal difference between type like we we have this Syrah that we grow in Dalton and one of our uh, we have a 20 year old vineyard that's uh, own rooted that was brought it was a clone that was brought from uh, from Australia um, back in the in the late 1990s and now it's like it's bringing these amazing wines like the the clusters are very, very long, very, very loose. Um, <laughs> grow it with no irrigation. Um, it's just kind of wild, super dark color, very unique. It goes into our uh, Shiraz Reserve. Uh, so if you have a chance to, to grab one of those wines, uh, it's, it's a very unique, very unique wine um, as well. Um, I kind of, that wine, I kind of take it to the heavier, kind of more classic side of Shiraz. 
um, using more uh, more noticeable uh, barrel work and more more structured, slightly more tannic and big, and it ages very well. And do you guys do you still have your petite Syrah block? Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And you're so using that just for a standalone or using it for blending? Yeah, for a standalone. And then um, I'll, I'll, I, something I didn't have a chance to talk to you guys about is um, as of two years ago, I started working on uh, my own project with Delton, uh, kind of trying to opening uh, the winery into new crowds. Um, we started, I started a new series called um, a Sufa series, which in, uh, in Hebrew means the collection or the collective. And um, it's a it's a it's like a, a range of a few different wines that have a little bit more of like a new wave vibe to them. I so, love that term, guy, because I've never heard anyone use that that term before. A new new you know, wave there's wine. There's the new the new California. Have you heard of I, that? Yeah. yeah. There's the book by John Bonet, the New California. Yeah. All these producers uh, that are making uh, kind of Sam, were you in that book? Wines. No, no, we like alcohol too much for John Bonet to write about us. I think. <laughs> are you drink? What, what do you What do you drink in there? Is that a beer? Oh no, this is this is Pellegrino. It is okay. it is morning still here, guy. I mean, <laughs> I did start the morning drinking your Cabernet as my breakfast, but I, I, not, I, haven't, yeah. I haven't gotten quite there yet. It is opening day of baseball here in America, though. So. It is a, a beer it's and hot dog kind of night. Here, now, it's 9 p.m. where I am, and um, now I'm talking to you guys. I have my, my wife is actually putting, putting the kids to sleep, so. Uh, now, are you, are you surfing with Avidon? No, I'm not. I'm not okay. surfing with him, unfortunately. I don't. See, Avidan has a lot of spare time right now because he's, uh, he's on, <laughs> right. uh, on leave from his, from his, uh, from his amazing creations in mexico city and uh yeah taco mensch it's amazing taco. great project that he that he built with his with his own two hands over there yeah. uh but yeah he's doing a lot of surfing right now because um, it's summer but i have vintage so i never get to enjoy my summer on the beach so much only on weekends so, right well how, how far are you from the coast Oh, uh, where I live, it's about 20 minutes. So I could, oh, I could go meet up with him. I, I may go uh, meet up with him on, on Saturday. And then, uh, yeah, maybe we'll take turns going in the water. Because I, could, so I how, could actually, sorry, Bart, I was going to say, I could just smell the, the coast on that, um, on the Semillon. Like it had an ocean breeze kind of aroma to it and like lemon <laughs> verbena and green apple and then just like a little touch of honey. I, I enjoyed it last night. It's it's really interesting that you say that. First of all, the vineyard isn't that far from the ocean, and it's it has a, a like this cloud that comes and sits on it, uh, you know. And about till eleven a.m., the vineyard is in a cloud, so the the humidity is quite high there in the mornings. Um, you get a lot of wet leaves there um, till about noon. Uh, during during the the growth like the peak of the ripening season, so it's nice. It kind of keeps the wines cooler. It is more humid, but then then it heats up and everything dries up very very quickly. And uh, so there is some ocean influence. I think Semyon there has a very very unique salty flavor to it. I use Semyon in several different uh, several different wines that I make at Delton. So there's the Alma. 
And uh, as I started telling you guys about the new the new wines that I uh, came that I started uh, developing um, for the winery, um, there's uh, there's a uh, Hunter Valley style Semyon that I pick super early and turn it into like this uh, really really mineral kind of salty wine. I'm yeah. releasing the first vintage uh, of this wine uh, later this year, uh, around New Year's. Okay. And um, that wine is uh, only fermented in stainless steel. There's a lot of lees work in the tank, and then it's bottled quite early. So all the maturation goes on in the bottle. Wow. So I wait for this shift of primary character to like secondary character to happen in the Semyon. And then we release it um, with some bottle age, and then you have the drinking experience that we want you to enjoy which is that flinty almost yeah. like rieslingy kind of aroma that that the wine can give and it's very high acid so it goes great with seafood and and fish and whatever. yeah i have a little um my lips are dry because i we did some barrel tasting yesterday and so i was wasn't drinking enough water and my lip cracked so last night while i was drinking that wine it was like the pleasure pain thing because every time i take a uh, sip i'd get a little bit in that crack and the acid would would burn might as well call it a pick pool. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I, do a, I make a pet net as well that's Semyon based with a little bit of uh, Muscat Alexandria in that series. Uh, also very fun wine. We have a Chenin Blanc, uh, wild ferment, uh, part barrel, part skin contact, uh, very crunchy kind of uh, delicious wine. There's a semi-carbonic Carignan. There's, so part of the... The, the Carignan is a, is a, it's all 40 year old vin, vineyard um, in the uh, lower Galilee. I pick it uh, and then part of it goes destemmed, native ferment in concrete tank. The rest is a carbonic and it's about 20% carbonic, very light, 13% um, alcohol. You know, you drink it a little bit chilled. It's kind of like a, um, say, like a, like a Beaujolais village or maybe something from the south of France. Very similar to like what Chris Brockway is doing with his Carignan. Sounds like a great uh, wine for summertime in Israel, for sure. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. And, uh, and I make a Zinfandel as well. And we make a Zinfandel as well. And in the Zinfandel, uh, actually the, the Zinfandel is called Coast to Coast. And it's my like inspiration, like Ode to California, my, you know, where my heart is. Uh, and it's like, um, it's it's inspired by my favorite uh, old school kind of California Zinfandel, you know, rich um, those Dry Creek uh, Zinfandels, um, Turley stuff like that. That is like these old Italian plantings that um, that have like a mix of some Syrah and some Petite Syrah and whatever they they put in there. So. Um, I added a, I add a little bit of Petit Syrah, a little bit of, uh, of uh, Shiraz into the Zinfandel, and it's like super spicy. Um, a little, the, the alcohol is not 15, 16, but more like 14 and a half. Uh, so it does have some tannin to it, but it ages amazingly, and uh, it's a lot of white pepper. And it's, it's um, yeah, it's a where wine you, for Zinfandel geeks. Where did you get the Zinfandel from? We, we have a Zinfandel planted since 2000 in, um, in one of our vineyards um, in the Upper Galilee. 
and uh, I've been making, uh, Dalton has been making Zinfandel since 2004 commercially. And, uh, Brian, you just go to the you just go to the grapevine store and just pick them out. Yeah, that's well. That's what I'm wondering. How do you get it over there? Uh, they used to bring Zinfandel over. Uh, the the plant material came from California, from Davis in the '90s, and uh, uh, they they said, "Okay, Israel, it's warm. It's like California. We could probably plant Zinfandel here." It didn't really work so well because Zinfandel does better with a dry uh, climate. And uh, <laughs> with our humidity and the, those tight Zinfandel clusters can cause a lot of uh, you know late summer rot, and uh, yeah. really have to really have to grow and pay attention to your vines. <laughs> so uh, it's my little pet project, and you know I the, the winery tried to to cancel Zinfandel a few times. <laughs> you know every time I'm I'm fighting for it because it's I, I just love it. I love the variety, and and the older the vines become. The better they become, yeah. the more flavor, the more balance they get. Now working with a with Zinfandel vines that are like 21 vintages down the road, it's uh, it's a completely different story. And uh, we we grow them on, uh, with uh, one cluster per shoot. Uh, we kind of sprawl them over. They were planted uh, VSB, but we kind of let them go wild. So we do a lot of leaf thinning to kind of try to try to get a lot of air in there, and it works great. Yeah. Wow. Sam, you grow Zinfandel yourself, right? Uh, actually, behind me, I guess no, that's a uh, Grenache behind me. Yeah, we grow we grow a lot of Zinfandel, um, and you know, we'd yeah, love, love to, to to try with you one day. Well, we're gonna get. I'm gonna figure out how to get some wine to you in Israel, and and uh, hopefully, you know, sometime within the next 15 years, we're allowed to travel again, and you can come see us. Uh, <laughs> the next 15 years, we, we struggle with depends, depends who gets the who gets the vaccine first. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like it may, maybe you guys. <laughs> well, we already paid for it. I think we paid one point something billion to uh, to uh, Pfizer, Pfizer already. Pfizer, yeah. yeah, I heard on the news yesterday. Yeah, so we're we're first in line, but I don't know what that means. Right, They're going to be shoot, work, shooting right? us full of something. <laughs> I don't know what's going to be in those things they're poking us with, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll be the, we'll be the test tube. That's how they put the microchips in, right? Yeah. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Apparently, we can travel, but if I decide to, if I leave and come back to Israel, I have to stay for two weeks, and uh, we have a two-week uh, mandatory kind of isolation. Yeah, that's stay. what that's what Avidan was saying when he landed. Uh, that Israeli soldiers came on the plane and were like, "Okay, where's everybody going? Where do you have a place yeah. to go? Do you have family here? Like, they want to know yeah. where you're, what you're doing." Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, there's flights. Uh, there's flights coming in and out. So it's not a problem. I was last in California uh, just when everything started. In, uh, I left first week of February. So uh, got out while the getting was good. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. I may, I, I may have. I may have already had it. So. Right. Well, hey, Maybe you uh, brought the coronavirus back to Israel with you. Yeah, right. Maybe. <laughs> hey, talking about access, guy. How do how do people hear? get access to your wine besides that one Cabernet that I found at Bottle Barn. And, and even then I had looked for wines from Israel and it wasn't until mm. I was actually at the counter and That's Barry, good. Barry was like, Oh, I started talking to him about it. And he said, Oh, I have a section for kosher wine, which I didn't yes, know. So you can get them. And I think you can also, there are some, um, 
internet online platforms where you can buy wines from Israel. Kosherwine.com is the largest selection of kosher yeah. wine stores. I uh, don't mean to make a, uh, you know, some kind of a commercial for these guys, but uh, you can buy kosher wines, almost any, any wine through them. And our importer, um, hello? Yeah, 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 we, could, we got you there. So our importer also um, puts Allied most of our importers. wines on there. Allied importers are our importers out of New York. Um, they sell our wines. We have um, distribution very widely on the West Coast, on the East Coast, on the West Coast. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure if you can get like all the stuff, but uh, you can find it at some places like the Bottle Barn. And um, I need to find out um, how to get more. But um, if you if you Google us, uh, you could probably find where to buy them in the U.S. and have it sent to you. Um, nowadays. You know, people are buying wine. You know, you get it. You get it in the mail. So, yeah, yeah, and they and so they can get all three of your different um, brands. So they can get the Dalton wines. They can get the. Yeah, you can get Alma. You can get reserves. You can get. You could probably get anything from Dalton. Uh, and even and, that that new our project that you're working everything. on. Yeah, our importers are bringing everything, um, and I think Asufa wines will be available soon, also. There, but um, Allied Importers, are, we, we export uh, about 30% uh, of our production. So our annual bottling is about a million bottles. It's around like 80,000 cases, 30% export. Um, about half of that of the export is just to the US alone. Oh. And then the rest goes to like Canada. We have some, you know, South America, Brazil is a new market, Mexico, um, UK, France, Italy, Germany, um, some Far East, where we, we get around. Yeah. But the USA is our, is our biggest market outside of Israel. And for people that are living in Israel, like what is their palate like? What are they, what are people drinking there? Like what are the top three things that people drink there? Um, I think people are now drinking uh, a lot of rosé. Uh, rosé is very popular now in Israel. It's kind of like, uh, you can't, become a very kind of mainstream popular style of, of wine uh, for the novice drinkers, not like professional wine drinkers. Professional wine drinkers are drinking Israeli wine, mostly um, things that are new, things that are different. Uh, you know, Chenin Blancs, uh, they, people like wine with lower alcohol, higher acid texture, um, a lot of Burgundy, a lot of, uh, a lot of French stuff. Um, now natural wine has become very popular in Israel. So um, young people are opening up to that as well because it's something that their parents don't drink and it's like interesting and different and, and kind of like theirs to own. So um, natural wine is having an awakening here, which is, I think is very positive. Uh, Greek wines um, are becoming popular here as well um, as of, last few years and uh you can you could probably like it's 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 kind of sad to say but imported wines here um in many cases are better bang for your buck than than local wines and um us as dalton uh winery really really try to make good wine at the price 
that people will want to drink at, at a competitive price and also at a, at a good authentic um, kind of honest product that is made from grapes and yeast and any kind of uh, derivative that is added that is uh, from grape source like our our labels are also usually labeled with uh, with the Israeli vegan organization, which I think is the is kind of like something of transparency because I'm not using any fining agents that um, are allowed or not allowed in wine. I don't use anything that's not from from grapes uh, when we're making Dalton wines, and uh, because we make a lot of wine, my blending options are are huge, so I can make the wine to my liking uh, with with the with the raw material that I that I'm growing myself and. All right, so so Bart, now you can ask all ten questions that you tried to ask before, and I cut you off. No, 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 I'm Sorry. good. I, I, yes. I, 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 well, the one question I did have is, what's going on this year for your vintage? How's it looking out there? What at what point are you? Um, when's your last day off? Um, uh, my last day off is probably this weekend, starting tomorrow, Saturday. There you go. <laughs> and then Sunday, uh, I'm uh, looking at uh, bringing in some uh, some first grapes. Yeah. Okay. And from then, it's like uh, three days of harvest, then another week of uh, nothing right. coming in, and then full power till the beginning of October. Okay. It's super so long season there. Yeah, super uh, long season. Yeah, because the lower Galilee, where we have some of our uh, – uh, fruit planted. Um, one of the varieties that <laughs> was planted in the Lower Galilee uh, that we that we bring in is uh, Chardonnay, and uh, Chardonnay is early as it is. It's even earlier in a place that is as warm as Lodi, for instance. You know, so it's uh, hot, right. and then it ripens in the end of July. Um, it's only two hundred meters elevation, so um, wow. you know when it's ripe, it's ripe. And you bring it in, and then you don't right. pick anything for two weeks, and then, and then we start with the upper Galilee stuff. So we start bringing in Sauvignon Blanc and then Syrah and Pinot Gris, and we're we're harvesting at you know between six hundred to to nine hundred meters in elevation. So it's a whole different story. It's it's like right. a month back from where we start. Right. Right. And then you guys yeah. do some some um, machine harvesting and then some stuff you just do by yeah, hand. Correct. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's about 50-50. Um, we have a lot of wine that, that are under our umbrella and uh, the machine harvest um, is uh, very efficient uh, at bringing in like the larger volume stuff, like the stuff that goes into some of this Cabernet. This Cabernet estate, for instance, is about 50% machine harvested. 50% hand harvested. Um, and um, we don't do any whites mechanically harvested. Uh, all of our premium reds are hand harvested as well. So it just leaves us with, uh, with uh, some Syrah, some um, like higher, higher uh, yielding uh, vineyards that we have that we bring in machine harvested for, for our state wines. I'm actually, uh, I think it's good. These days, um, it's really difficult to find consistent labor. And uh, with the amount of, uh, of vineyards that we have, um, finishing a season uh, with, uh, you know, 
um, with like a hundred hectares of vines and uh, only, only uh, you know, about 70 people at maximum that can harvest your grapes. It's like, you need that, you need that, uh, that uh, the machine harvesters these days. Right. It's, right. Yeah, because for your for your labor, do you have a a year round um, a crew year round crew that's working on the property? Yeah, we have a yeah. We first of all, because we grow eighty um, percent of the of the properties ourselves in house. Um, then uh, we our viticulturist has a crew that um, consists of uh, between uh, fifty people in the low season and 50 people during harvest. And then we bring in usually another 20 people from a different crew uh, during harvest to join them. And uh, they grow during the summer because they have a lot of teenagers that they bring from, from school that, that have vacation and they wanna come and pick grapes. So um, wow. the crew is very good and they, yeah, <laughs> anyone who wants to work and the the crew is very good. They're they're super professional. They've been with us for like six years already. Um, it's, we're working with the same with the same uh, vineyard foremans, and um, yeah, they're great. They're very reliable. They know that they know the work, um, and we work with them all year long. Um, and what about interns? Do you get interns that come in and work with you? Yeah, I do. Um, I have. I usually take one intern a year. Um, this year, I brought an intern just to help with uh, with uh, harvest maturation for sampling. So basically, uh, they come, they they work for us. Um, we we give them a, a vehicle uh, for the whole period for like three months, and uh, they uh, he'll go or she will go to. Um, to the vineyards and sample the grapes uh, and do uh, maturity tests, bricks, TAPH, help with some lab work, help with some other stuff. Um, and uh, have an yeah. assistant winemaker. Um, some years I also bring an assistant winemaker intern, but uh, this year I, we, didn't need, we didn't need the extra, extra staff. Yeah, and, and, and we're looking forward to, to harvest about 1,000 uh, 180 tons. Yeah. Uh, 1,180 tons. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of work. Yeah. yeah, and your interns, now, are you getting them locally? Or they're, are they coming in from, like, France, Australia, New Zealand? Um, I had an international one year, and then this year, just, uh, I brought in uh, this, uh, um, an intern that she's been working with us with some other projects the recent years, and um, I just hired her as an intern because uh, you know she was available and she knew the job and it was convenient. So. Right. She wanted she wanted to do a different job this year. Yeah, me too. Vineyard internship job is that what you're saying, Brian? I'm seriously contemplating it because you know here we're not seeing a lot of interns coming in from other parts of the world that we normally no do. no we're not seeing any <laughs> yeah any zero. yeah you're not seeing so, any what are you gonna do and i'm and my job basically disappeared at the hotel i'm not a psalm anymore i'm just sort of working on the on the floor not really i mean i'm not even passing out a wine list so i'm thinking you know if i'm not going to make a lot of money um and i'm not going to do my normal job then why not go go get that final piece of the the whole sam you need puzzle. any interns 
this year. Right. On this, if you don't want to make a lot of money, we got a job for you. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if yeah. you want to work hard, be verbally abused, and not make a lot of money, that's yeah, perfect. Bit of cultural yeah, assistant, yeah. It might be good. I might lose like thirty pounds, and I'll definitely get a tan. <laughs> yeah, because you 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 won't get an ATV. You'll be walking. Yeah, I was gonna say You'll that was walking. so nice. He says, "Yeah, we give him a we give him a car." I was thinking, is that yeah. to sleep in? Or they don't even give them a apartment. They just tell them, here's a pickup truck. For three months, you're living in the truck and driving the truck. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. All right. All right, Guy. Thanks a lot for well, um, for educating us. Once, once, you get that, once you get that vaccine, give me a call, Brian. And, uh, right. Come right. <laughs> you know, I think it would be cool because there's there's so many parts of the world where where we don't get really exposed to the wine and it's places like bottle barn where you can actually go get wines from portugal and from greece yeah. you know most people are used to shopping in their in their normal um stores you know their supermarkets I, so I had a really really great time with you guys this is awesome thanks for having me. thank you i, I hope yeah. you can hang out for, with us sometime here in california or for, or for all and, of us uh, maybe uh sam sam I got family. I got family. Well, I have my in-laws' family. We can Where? go hang out in Tel Aviv. Where, where's your family in Tel Aviv? Uh, yeah, there, there's some people in Tel Aviv. I think there might be some people in in Haifa as well. This this is my wife's family. Um, but she actually, we have she has her some cousins who are intending on on moving to Israel um, like this year. But now everything's everything's on hold because of the. Yeah. The stupid virus. So, but there's definitely, I would, um, not only would I want to come and do it, I would score mega in law points if I went and did <laughs> <laughs> wine visits in Israel. So, definitely motivating factors. <laughs> but I think, you know, if there was one sort of, uh, um, you know, piece of wisdom from all of this is, you know, go to your local wine shop. They probably all have, or many yeah. of them have, a, a kosher wine section. And yeah. you know, ask somebody, there's going to be great wines in there. There's going to be a bunch of crap too, but you could say that about any section and any wine shop. Yeah. So, and um, and know, uh, not, not all Israeli wine is kosher, but you just have to remember that a lot of the stuff that, uh, that has uh, like an added commercial value that usually comes into the U.S. Uh, will happen to be kosher. And there are so many, it's unbelievable. I, when I started, um, you know, working with Dalton, I used to go, I usually go like once a year, once every two years, and I make my rounds in the States, and I go to visit like clients in New York, and we'll go to wine shops and, you know, talk to them about wine and see how they're doing, and they really appreciate meeting the winemakers, and we, we find that it really helps the sales. When I first started doing that, there was like, you know, those same brands that I was always used to seeing, but last year when i came this the end of january i was in, i was just amazed by the amount of wine that and the brands that these kosher wines in new york are carrying you have stuff from all over california that are people that are making wines that are kosher you have stuff from israel and they carry everything everything every single brand that exists almost can is probably in the us these days um, in the East Coast, and the most famous chateaus in Bordeaux, and some Burgundian houses, and some Rhone houses are all making uh, kosher versions of wine. Wow. Argentina, 
And the funny thing is, I was, I had a meeting at, a, at one of the kosher wine shops in Long Island, and like half the people in there weren't even, weren't even there to buy kosher wine. They weren't even Jewish. They're just coming in to buy like high-end whiskeys and, and, and wine. And uh, yeah. yeah, so it's, it, kosher wine has made a long way, I think. Um, more and more uh, people uh, who appreciate wine and drink kosher um, started getting involved and that's, I think, what improved the quality. But I think personally um, that Israel is exciting right now. It's very kind of, um, it's, a, it's a famous country for being, you know, we have this army and the Mossad and this and that. And, but wine, not so much. I think if you wanna try good wines, uh, they're not always going to be at your best value price point, but you want to try something different, but and not too strange. You can go for Israel, and uh, you'll definitely won't be disappointed. You you'll you'll find that you're drinking um, a geographical uh, region that is quite unique, um, quite warm, but still creating these uh, very very uh, solid wines. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Now, and you know, the, to one last point on like flash pasteurization and Mebuchon, Mebuchon. Brian, one of probably your favorite wines, and you know, Bocastel, Chateau Bocastel. Every wine that comes out of Chateau Bocastel has been flash pasteurized. Oh, and, interesting. And and, and so really? there's actually kosher versions of of Bocastel too. Um, so it's definitely you know the the processes that that guys talking about that you know make wine kosher, make wine Mebuchon. Um, yeah. These aren't foreign things to the rest of the wine world either. Um, there's yeah. just you know, one, one of my favorite California Rieslings is the Hagafen Riesling from uh, from Lake County, and uh, and Ernie's Rieslings are just like wow. Like he has his, the, the the Riesling they grow on their property is amazing. He makes a dry style and a sweeter style, and they're super super delicious. Hmm. And they're also uh, flash pasteurizing uh, some. The, the juice before the fermentation. That would seem to be the best time to do it. Yeah, recommend that wine if, if people haven't tried it. It's a it's a very interesting kosher wine to try. And, um, yeah, Hagafen Cellars. If anyone doesn't know about it over here in Napa, I found out about it when I was at the Girl in the Fig and we were doing a kosher event. So I needed to get kosher wine, and they and because I needed Rhone varietals, they did a Roussan. So it was a no brainer. Yeah. I reached out to them and got some wine. First time I'd ever tried a kosher yeah. wine was the Hagafen wines. Cool. Um, Sam, before we go, do you want to talk about some of the scores you just got this morning or you want to get a little braggadocious or you want people to, yeah. to wait for that? <laughs> uh, no, I'll, I'll big it up a little bit. Okay. Um, we, we uh, in February, just pre-COVID, tasted with Aaron Brooks of The Wine Advocate, you know, Robert Parker's of groundbreaking uh, wine scoring publication. Uh, and be probably because of Isabel's assist for the first time in my life, I have a, uh, an all A report card. Um, you know, <laughs> nothing, uh, nothing lower than 91. We got uh, some 94s, um, the Autotet Rosé, uh, both, you know, the 18 and 19 vintage, 92 points. Um, the Homage Blanc, 1718 vintage, 92, Rossi Grenache, uh, 94. Um, I, I don't even, you know, the, 
to be truth be told, I got the text message from Isabel uh, literally as we sat down to record this. So I haven't even like dug in and read the descriptions or anything. Or uh, you know, by the time probably by the time we record the next episode in in about a half an hour, I'll have memorized it all. And, <laughs> and apparently, Combi, I'm I'm getting text messages. Combi has already um, posted it on his Instagram account. So, so he's ha he's happy about it then. <laughs> he's happy. Combi's <laughs> okay, happy. Good. If you make combi happy, like, you know, I'd like to sell it all too, but making combi happy is, is job number one. Then we go and sell it. So yeah, totally. Yeah, first part of the mission is accomplished. <laughs> hey, hey, guy, I got a question for you. Have you been to the Hospice to Roan uh, uh, thing that happens down in Paso Robles? Not yet. Not yet. But okay. I will. So it, next year. It, it got postponed this year, this year so they're going to do it next year. But that would be cool because that's where we it's run into lot. Francois. Um, Villard is um, is down at the hospital. All right, guys, let's wrap it up. Uh, it would be cool to pour some Israeli rum varieties, though. That's what I'm thinking. It would be super cool, right? When when does it usually happen in the summer? Uh, April, like April 21st, 22nd, something like that. It's going to be in, in Passerelle, and it's just it's a party for people that like rum varietals, and we all, yeah, yeah. it'd be awesome to make it happen. It'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we happen to know the person that puts it on. We can we can send you guys an invite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love uh, okay. that. I love that. Okay. Even uh, maybe an Israeli Rhone seminar. It'd be worth it'd be worth sitting down, putting these wines together, and and you know that would be amazing. And, and maybe you have a, you know a couple others you could recommend. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, of course, there's right. others. There's there's some amazing producers because that, that, be right. they so, love to sort of highlight you know like Costa de Nîmes, like places yeah, where different, people don't different yeah just kind of just kind of uh educating opening eyes it's totally giving new experiences all right guys any other shout outs you it, was, give it, was a great, it was a great pleasure meeting you all and talking to you i had a great time and uh yeah yeah tell uh, Avidan when you see him uh thank you for the uh thank you for the introduction this was great tell, tell all my california friends i say hey if you yeah, see I, Aaron, uh, Aaron and then um, Randy from Source and Sync. Um, I noticed that he was following you, so I reached out to him, and he said that he had met you a couple of years ago too. So, all right, hello from California. Goodbye from California. All right. Wait, all right, wait I have an idea. Forget uh -oh. meeting in Israel. We're gonna meet in Mexico City when. Oh, yeah. Uh, there you go. <laughs> Sam, Sam is super excited tacos. about eating tacos. He thought that maybe you were the taco mensch. We had to explain to him that that was not the case. I'm here for the He just he just hooked me up with you guys and uh, yeah. the taco the taco mensch. Wow, that's uh, mensch. He, he's really he's really uh, the taco mensch. Shout out he's to really the taco mensch and and um, and we should mention if people want to go to your website for uh, Dalton, it's uh, d a l t o n hyphen winery dot com. Or you can uh, Instagram me. Um, Instagram at Gaiovino, G-U-Y-O-V-I-N-O. Instagram, cool pictures. Love to yeah. chat with anyone who's interested. Doing it now. Doing it now. Right what on. We're doing. Yeah. All right, guys. All right, this guys. has been the Winemakers. If you want to check out some of our past episodes, you can hit us up at theradiomisfits.com. We will look forward to talking right. to you next week. Stay safe. Tune in. Drink more good wine. Drink some of these high-scoring wines from uh, Sam. From Pittori. <laughs> before the price goes up. And uh, uh, stop, too late. Too late. Stop, <laughs> stop by your local wine shop and uh, check out the kosher wine section. All right, you guys. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.